Well, good morning, church, and welcome to worship. We are so blessed to have you here this morning. If you were a guest, we ask that you would take your blue communication card. You fill that out. And at the end of the service, um, Pastor Stewart will be at the back, and he would love to give you a um, copy of his book. And we just are glad that you are here. If you have any prayer requests, fill that out on the back and turn that in at the end of the service as well. We are glad you have come to worship. Are you glad to be here this morning? Say amen. Amen. I know it's been a great morning in the house of God already, and it's a great service ahead of us. Pray with me this morning. God, we are so worthy. You are so worthy of our honor and praise. God, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to come and worship you this morning. May we lay all distractions aside, Lord God, this morning. May we listen to you, Father. May we be challenged by you. And may we leave your house today ready to tell the world about you and what you have done for, for them and for us, God. Be with us now as we sing praises to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and worship together. All creatures of our God and King.
Struggles on the 
Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you today for your many blessings. Yes, you are faithful, dear Lord. You have been faithful to us. Remind us, dear Lord, help us to be more faithful to you, dear God. At this time of our service, let us be faithful with our tithes and our offerings as we give them to you for the furtherance of your kingdom around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I came to First Baptist Church, Pineville, six years ago, I thought I'd be here for the rest of my ministry. It's home, it's where I was baptized, it's where I grew up, but God had other plans. He began preparing our family for a change last fall. A friend asked me if he could recommend me for a ministry position in a church where his brother was serving on the search committee. After praying about it, Patty and I felt like that was the right thing to do, to offer my resume. And after talking to the pastor, committee, doing further research on this church, we realized that that was not the right place for us. But in the midst of the process, we felt that God did have other plans for us. We just weren't sure what they were. We continued to seek God's will. As you may know, Patty finished our teaching degree a year before we moved to Pineville and was excited about a career in education. 
After teaching for five years at Lessie Moore, she was able to pass all but the math exam, preventing her from completing her teaching certificate in the state of Louisiana. This past year, she had no other choice but to step down into a paraprofessional position. As she studied this past spring to take the test one more time, we prayed for God to open doors. Let her pass, make a way. Back in early March, I began talking to a college friend about a position at Parkview Baptist in Baton Rouge. It began as a conversation that led to my resume being added to their list of candidates. The week before LaBasic, God really began to make things clear for our family. Patty did not pass the praxis, and two local jobs that she had applied for were both closed doors. At the same time, I received an email from the committee at Parkview inviting us to come for a formal interview. We left the interview certain that God was calling us to Baton Rouge. In the weeks following, not only were we issued an invitation to come in view of a call, affirmed with a 98% positive vote last Sunday, Patty was also offered a full-time teaching uh, job at the school in pre-K. Since it's a private school, she doesn't have to be certified. Our kids are gonna be able to attend Parkview Baptist School as a benefit, and they're obviously sad to leave their family and friends, but are excited about future opportunities. They, in fact, start band camp tomorrow. We've thoroughly enjoyed our time here at First Baptist Church, and this church will always be a special place to us. Thank you so much for blessing us over the last six years. I wish we had more time to spend with you, but since school starts for Ryan and Peyton on August 7th, our last Sunday with you will be August the 6th. Yeah, you don't really know what to do after that, do we? We obviously knew that was coming, and I'm sure if you were in Sunday school today, you already heard about it, but uh, officially sharing with uh, the second service as well. And with that uh, news, we're taking a one-week break from our series on Malachi to uh, deal with the subject of transitions. Uh, transitions are some of the most beautiful things that occur in life, uh, typically. In times of music, there's those key changes or a transition from one song to another, just as we've had this morning, where literally you can be lifted in your spirit, even to a new plane of worship as you experience that change. There's also transitions that are passes in sports, whether it's into the end zone in football or an assist in basketball or a out in baseball or even a baton passing in track. There are those times in sports when those transitions cause us to rise out of our seats and to cheer on our team. There are transitions in creation, the beauty of a sunset. Rebecca and I were traveling back from Shreveport a couple of weeks ago, and as the sun went down behind us, it was casting a beautiful just array of colors on a storm that we were approaching ahead. Just a beautiful kind of transition. There's a transition of night to day, the sunrise, which are fantastic if you get up that early to see them. And then, of course, there's a transition of seasons, the Falls of the falling leaves of fall, snow of winter, buds of spring, summer showers. There's also a lot of life transitions. The first day of school, graduation, wedding day, the first job, a new job, the new home, a new car, from a couple to a family, from mom and dad to grandma and grandpa. Transitions are some of the most beautiful things in life. We celebrate them as they happen. We remember them with fondness as we look back at pictures and videos and scrapbooks. But have you ever stopped to think that every transition has a bit of fear attached to it? Will the musicians make the key change? Will the catch be made? What does the night hold? What does the new day hold? What will this year of school be like? What will being on my own be like? What, is this really the person for me to marry? What kind of parents will we be? Will we be able to handle the empty nest? It goes on and on. Every transition and stage of life has these. Every transition, even the most beautiful ones, the ones we celebrate and scrapbook and, and look back on, every transition is a bit scary. And the same is true when it comes to transitions in church life. 
Last year this time, we had a completed staff for the first time in many years, about a, over a decade probably. Kimberly had just been hired. We had all five staff members in place. We were excited moving forward. And then came late this spring when Ryan shared that he was going to be needing to move. And we're having a light show all of a sudden. Ryan shared that he was going to have to leave. And then a month or so ago, Chris came in and shared that what was likely coming for him. And, and when Chris shared, all I could think was lovely. Some years ago, I wrote a newsletter article um, about dealing with a difficult time in church. And I don't even remember the subject of what we were dealing with in, in that article. But I remember that my sister asked, was this for you or for the church? And I said, well, both. And so today's message is kind of like that. It, it's for you and for me. When Chris texted the results of the vote at Parkview last Sunday, he shared that there were four people who voted against him, and I replied back, well, at least four people answered my prayers. <laughs> Usually you don't like those negative folks, but I did last Sunday. <laughs> Remember that, you know, I find out about coming transitions before you, generally can't say anything until a certain point, and as soon as we learn about those coming transitions, we begin thinking, and then right then about how the transition is going to take place, what the next steps will be. And Chris and I have had a lot of conversations about people who could supply and things that, that we need to consider as we move forward. But it's always interesting, no matter the transition, that as news starts to break about that transition, we hear ridiculous rumors about what's happening, why it's happening, uh, how it's happening. Uh, Chris and I, when he was back in the office Tuesday, we talked for a good while in my office about the weekend, what they had experienced, the exciting things they were seeing and experienced at Parkview, the, the, the challenges they have selling the house, buying the house, things that they were looking at. And then we, then we just shook our heads as we shared some of the rumors that, that we'd both heard or that things people had asked us. And you know, gossip and rumors are not healthy. In fact, they're sinful. And so we have to make sure that we say the right things and the true things. When a staff member leaves us or, or feels called somewhere else, that doesn't necessarily mean a problem exists here. It simply means God's doing something new in their life and in our church's life. It's okay to be sad. I certainly am. Chris and Patty have been friends of ours for years, and he's being stolen by a mutual college friend who I'm going to have to talk to one day. But you don't have to conjure up reasons why someone would want to leave. God moves ministers for a variety of reasons. Generally, there are two in normal situations, an enlarged reach of ministry and better provision for the family. And that's exactly what's happening with the Turners, as you, as you heard, Chris. I mean, opportunities for private school for their kids, a job for Patty, greater uh, benefits and blessing for Chris, an enlarged ministry. Those kind of things are normal. Sometimes, as in the case of the Smithies, it's for a season of adjustment or strengthening and retooling. So instead of wondering about these families' transitions, what you really need to do is pray for them. Because transitions are hard, not just for us as a church, but it's hard for those ministers who are moving as well. Because even though it's an exciting time, the transition is very difficult. Because there's a house to sell on this end and a house to buy on that end. There's a family to get situated in schools. There's a whole new church full of people to get to know. There's a whole new ministry team to figure out how to work with. And so I also want to remind you that it's a good thing when other churches desire our staff members it simply means that we have quality people. Now, as I told the first service, we may need to train our security guys to profile search committees out in the parking lot and stop them there before they even get in the building. But it's not a bad thing for other churches to want our staff members. It simply means we have a good team assembled. All of us on staff had or will have uh, churches expressed interest in us along the way. This is the first church that has contacted Chris in his six years here. And I've got news for Parkview. It won't be the last church that contacts Chris. Even in, in my almost nine years here, I, my resume's not out, but I've been contacted by or had someone want to recommend me to at least six churches as pastor as well as a college and a seminary as a professor. All of those contacts ended with me declining after Rebecca and I had prayed about it. 
And our other staff members have or will have that same kind of thing happen. And if God leads one of our staff families in a new direction, we're saddened, but we wish them well and we encourage them and love them as they make that transition. You know, in our 106 year history, if my count is correct, we've had 14 pastors, 16 ministers of music, then later on came the idea of student minister and then even later children's minister. So we've had about eight student ministers, two or three children's ministers, and then God only knows how many secretaries and assistants and other support staff, not to count dozens of interim ministers, interns, and part-time employees along the way. So there have easily been a hundred or more staff transitions in our church's 106-year history. And the vast majority of those people left for other opportunities that would better their family or expand their ministry. But every time it was a time of transition. Some of those people are even still in our church who transitioned out of our staff into other ministries that were better for their family. Transitions happen. In fact, there's a principle we have to keep in mind as we move through this transition. And that's this. A growing church is always in transition. Building programs, classroom changes, staff adjustments, schedule flexes, redistribution of duties, uh, adding new ministries, discontinuing ministries, tweaking ministries, continuing events, discontinuing events. It's all transitions. And, And for almost nine years, as I've been your pastor, we've been in a constant state of transition because we are a growing church. If we're not transitioning, we're stagnating and declining. If we're declining, we're dying. Uh, Sometimes stagnation feels more comfortable for us in our lives, especially as a church, because it's safe and and everything's kind of the same and, and we think it's okay, but we have to remind ourselves that stagnation, while it may be comfortable, is about like sitting in your recliner and eating pizza every day the rest of your life. It's not healthy. It's going to lead you to death. And in a church's life, stagnation leads to death. A growing church, though, is always in transition. It's always moving forward. This morning, I want to give us some biblical guidance for this time of transition. And to help us to do that, we're going to look at one of the largest and scariest leadership transitions in Scripture. And so we're right in the crack between Deuteronomy and Joshua this morning, the transition of leadership from Moses into Joshua. Now, allow me to set the scene. Since we've been living in the time of Malachi a little bit, and that's the yellow spot on that uh, Bible timeline, we're now backing up 1,100 years or so to the time of the Exodus and the time right after that, which is the red mark there on that timeline. And as we pick up the story in Deuteronomy 34, uh, 40 years have passed since the people were brought out of Egypt uh, as part of the Exodus. And we find that for the last 40 years, these people have been wandering in the wilderness, waiting for that rebellious generation to die off who didn't believe that they could take the promised land. And so over those 40 years, they've had millions of funerals, they've been wandering in the wilderness, and that generation has died. And now at this point in the story, the people are at the edge of the promised land, they're ready to go in, and they're looking for that land of promise. And so the people um, are situated in the plains of Moab on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They'll have to cross the Jordan River to go into the promised land. But right now they're on that eastern side of the Jordan. They're at the base of Mount Nebo. And God commands Moses to go up to Mount Nebo. And it's going to be from Mount Nebo that God will show Moses the promised land. That's the only way Moses will get to see it is from afar, from up high. And then Moses is going to die. And so Moses does as God commands. When Moses dies, it is a huge loss for the people. The people had never known another leader. These people were either children or not born when Moses took over as leadership. And so they knew no other leader. He led them for 40 years. And so we pick up the story in Deuteronomy 34 verse 7. We read, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Do you get, I want you to get the feel for this transition. Moses, this great leader, is dead. 
But the people are standing there at the base of the mountain on the opposite side of the Jordan from the promised land. They still need to go in. And so can you hear their questions? What about the vision God gave us? What about all the things we have yet to come? How are we going to get there? Was it really God's vision? What are we to do? Moses is dead. And Moses was a great leader. In fact, it was Moses, not the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who made a nation out of these people. Uh, Before Moses, they were just a bunch of tribes serving as slaves in Egypt. And almost single-handedly then, Moses took a group of self-willed, stick-necked people who were loosely connected by religion and blood, and he welded them into a nation. And the way that he did that through his leadership and his enthusiasm and his judgment, his his complete dedication to God, endured the people to him and inspired them. But now he was dead. And the people found themselves looking up a mountain when they needed to go over a river. So what would they do? Would they go over that river? Would they cross the Jordan? And enter the promised land. God had promised it. But the leader was gone. So the people mourned. We read that they mourned for 30 days. A solid month. That was custom. And then what? We see it at the end of verse 8. Probably after a comma in your translations. Where it says they mourned until the time of weeping and mourning was over. I think that's a telltale phrase. As Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. In other words, there's a time to mourn and there's a time to say, now what? And so this was a now what time. Their leader's gone. They've mourned. So now they have to ask, now what? Times of transition bring us those moments. The changes happen with or without us. Some changes we like, some changes we don't like, but they happen and often we mourn. We mourn the loss of a leader. We mourn the loss of a loved one. We mourn the loss of a friend. And for a time we say, oh, what are we going to do? What about all the promises of God? What about the great things that were in store? What about all the plans we had together? But then there comes that day when the morning ends and we look up and we say, now what, God? Now what moments are very important. Now what moments are important because the way we answer that question determines our future. And as I see it, the Israelites dried their tears and they could have done one of three things. The first thing they could have done is just stay put. They could have said, well, I guess we'll just settle here. It's kind of sandy and dusty. The land's certainly not flowing with milk and honey, but hey, we've been living in a desert for 40 years. We can handle this. Anybody got, anybody up for mama's casserole, some manna casserole? I got granny's recipe. We'll just keep on living like we've been living. Or instead of staying put, they could have gone backward. No, they could have said, well, great. So much for that. Moses almost got us to the promised land, but not all the way. I guess we'll just go back to Egypt. Just give me that old time religion of grandma and grandpa. That's where we'll, we'll go back. Those days of our parents and grandparents in slavery, they couldn't have been that bad. I remember, I remember granny talking about while we were eating manna and quail about all the good food they used to have back in Egypt. So we'll just turn around. We'll, we'll go back to Egypt. Anybody remember how to make bricks? They could have stayed put. They could have moved forward or gone backward. But third, they could also move forward. They could say, if the vision to enter the promised land is God's, then we need to go in. Who's going to lead us? So let's see which one they pick. Look what happens in verse 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Notice they pick option C, move forward. That means that they rejected A, to stay put. They were not content to settle and stay where they were. That was a good choice because God doesn't like people to settle for the present when he has a future for them. Choosing C also means they rejected B. 
They reject saying, well, let's go back where we were. And that was a good choice. Because God doesn't want people to go backward when he has worked so hard to bring them forward. And so the people pick option C, which says if the vision to enter the promised land was really from God, then we need to go in. We move forward, we look for a new leader. Thankfully for them, they don't have to look for For there in the camp is Joshua, whom Moses had laid his hands upon and whom God had anointed with wisdom to lead. And at the end of verse 9, we see that the Israelites shift allegiance. Did you notice that? So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, shifting allegiance from Moses to Joshua didn't mean they didn't still love Moses. Shifting allegiance simply meant that they could see the completion of the vision God had started in Moses being continued out and worked out in Joshua. Both Moses and Joshua were part of God's plan. So the vision to enter the promised land was not Moses' vision. Moses was just the messenger. He was just part of it. It was God's vision. Therefore, that vision didn't die with Moses. It was going to continue on and God was going to bring the next leader who would take that group on to the next spot. But just because they shifted allegiances to Joshua didn't mean they forgot Moses. In fact, they still loved Moses a lot. They still respected him a lot. They still honored him. If you look at verses 10 through 12 of Deuteronomy 34, some scholars think Joshua actually wrote this in at the end of these books of Moses that we have for Genesis through Deuteronomy. But look what they, look how they remember Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. It was like they said, he was the best pastor we ever had. It was like preaching as the new preacher in the building that's named after a former preacher. (laughs) There was a great legacy. No leader would ever be as great as Moses had been. Moses cast a huge shadow. He had big shoes to fill. Still, they moved on and followed Joshua. And the book of Deuteronomy flows right into the book of Joshua. And we read in Joshua chapter 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Every time I read that, I think, man, God is so direct. Moses is dead. Now, boy, let's go. And he just continues on. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, uh, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. So I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The baton is passed. The transition is made. Joshua is going to lead. God says, you're it, man. You're going to take this to the next step. Here's the map of the region you're going to cover. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. The people are going to follow you. Now let's go. And if you read the rest of the book of Joshua, you find out that they enter the promised land and Joshua proves to be a very capable leader. Now, as we consider this story as our background, I want to think through this question. What do we need to do during the transitions? Well, first, we need to pray for those leading the transition. In our own transition, we need to pray for those. And if you were to look back from Deuteronomy 34 to Deuteronomy 31, you'll find that Moses gives a charge to Joshua. Moses is passing the mantle of leadership onto Joshua even back then. And that charge was Moses' blessing of Joshua and his way of praying for him as a future leader. Then we find in Joshua 1, as we continue on, that the people tell Joshua the same thing. And they promise to stand behind them. I can tell you from personal experience that the prayers of people matter in transitions. 
the encouraging words from people matter in transitions. Transitions are hard, especially for those who are leading the transition. So here's some people you can pray for over the coming months or, or year or more. One, pray for me as pastor and the rest of our ministerial and support staff. Because when we go through these transitions, everybody has to pick up some extra duties in one way or another during this, this time. And I'm grateful for our staff team that though we're about to be down two ministers, a common phrase is, I'll take that on. I'll take up that. Our interns are stepping up. Our other assistants are stepping up. People are stepping in. And whenever a need is expressed, it is met. So pray for me as pastor and all of our, our staff. Second, Pray for our interim ministers as they're called. We already have Thomas Warsham coming. I don't know who the music uh, intern will be or, or interim will be. But these in, interim ministers have a very difficult task. They're temporary leaders in a permanent minister, ministry and they're jumping on a moving train that's swaying because the engineers just hopped off. And so they've got to get in, stabilize the ministry, and prepare it for a successful handoff to the next minister. And so that is a very challenging job. And I'm not sure it's not more challenging to be an interim music minister or youth minister than it is to even be an interim pastor. And so pray for these folks as they fill in. Also, pray for our deacons. We have a, a great group of deacons who want to serve and who do serve. Just this week, some of our deacons organized mowing a disabled person's yard, and it was like this deep. They were like, I don't know, we had to bring in the big tractor. Others visited hospitals this week. They've, they've even covered a normal day that was normally covered by uh, staff members when we're fully staffed. And so the men who serve as our deacons need your prayers as they help serve and minister to the congregation through this transition. Also pray for our search committees once they are selected. Uh, they have one of the scariest jobs in the church. And if you've ever served on any kind of search committee, you know that. Uh, besides the fact that it's scary, once the choice is made, everyone has an opinion. And, and you have to, to deal with that. Um, their job is scary, but it is so important. And so pray for them as they're selected. So during this season of transition, pray for those who are leading the transition. Second, Step up to fill in the gaps. And what I notice about this story from Scripture is that Joshua helped an entire new generation of people step up to service, and they did a fantastic job. When we get to the end of the book of Joshua, we have as great a legacy statement of Joshua's leadership as we do of Moses' leadership. At the end of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24 in verse 31, we read this, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua was able to give good leadership and equip good leadership that continued on after he died. Everyone stepped up and they did a bang up job. So one of the benefits of staff, staff transitions is there are holes that are left. And sometimes you can find your place of ministry in one of those holes. You may find a permanent place of volunteer ministry in a hole that the deacons or staff members are currently trying to, to fill in. But when you step in and fill that gap, you lighten the burden on the deacons and the staff members in the interim. But you also, if you continue in that, you actually lighten the load on the next minister. Sometimes the volunteer position that you take over is so significant that it causes us to rework the job description for that next hire and it allows us to, to focus in a little bit different direction. So if you're looking for a place to serve in the music ministry or the student ministry, pastoral care, office volunteer, now's the time to jump in because there are places to serve. Another way that you can fill in the gaps is to anticipate the challenges. challenges. It's, it's easy in times of transition for people to fall through the cracks. Um, sometimes a few people will even transition to another church in a time of transition. And that's, that's perfectly normal. I've seen that dozens of times in churches. But we don't want anyone to fall through the cracks. So anticipate those challenges. And that's where Sunday school teachers, you are vital. Youth volunteers, you are vital. Orchestra and choir members, you are vital to keep us moving forward, to make sure no one falls through the cracks. We need everyone to step up to fill in the gaps. 
Third, and this may be the most important, allow God to work. In God's plan, transitions are meant to be beautiful. And so while we may have some fear as we approach them and as we go through them, we need to trust God to bring us through to an even greater time. Uh, Moses wanted to lead the people into the promised land. Joshua would have loved to have had Moses lead them into the promised land or at least help him lead them in the promised land. What leader wants to stand in the shadow of a guy like Moses? But in the first chapter of Joshua, God and the people tell Joshua to be strong and courageous. And they don't just say it one time or two times or three times or four times. They say it over and over and over. It's like six times. Be strong and courageous. Why'd they have to say that? Because Joshua was scared out of his wits in the transition. But they were saying, God's with you and we're with you and we can move forward. Moses wanted to lead. Joshua would have loved for Moses to lead, but God had other plans. They both had to allow God to work and God did. And the people made it to the promised land. God's plan is to keep moving forward. His plan is never to stay put, never to go backward. God's plan is to advance. Now, certainly in our day, we're not going into a promised land, but we do have a big job that we've been tasked with, and that is fulfilling the Great Commission. And so we must advance in fulfilling the Great Commission. As long as there's one more lost person in central Louisiana, Louisiana, the United States, or the world, we are to keep advancing. In transitions, we have to allow God to work. When God moves a staff member, his, his working and his plan is twofold. It's for them and for us. The staff member is going to have new opportunities to advance and fulfill God's commission in their new calling. And from our standpoint as a church, we have to trust that God knows what he's doing for us. We also have to allow God to open the right doors for us and put us with the right person to, at the right time that will help us to continue fulfilling the Great Commission. We have to allow God to work. We have to trust him in transitions, even though it's hard. Finally, we have to look forward to the blessings. In times of transition... It's easy to get focused on the challenges of the present and forget the blessings that are coming in the future. It's easy to focus on what we've got to do now and how are we going to make this step and what's going to happen to this and who's going to lead that and, and all this. And from the minister's standpoint, it's how are we going to make this move and where's our kids going to do and what are, all of the details can so focus us in on the now that we forget the blessings of the future and so instead of getting bogged down in the challenges, we have to look forward to see what God will do in the future. That's basically what God told Joshua in those first few verses. It's like, look, Moses is dead, but I am going to lead you into this promised land. This is the land that you are going to have. You are going to take it. I will be with you. He was saying there is a blessing that is going to come and you've got to keep your eye on the gold or you're going to drown in the challenges. And so we have to look forward to the blessing, I think, in two ways. There's the blessing for our departing staff members and the blessing then for us as a church. First, consider the blessing for our staff members. And I was reminded of this last week, um, that we have to look forward to seeing the good that God's going to do in those who leave us. Um, last weekend, our family visited with some friends from our former church in Forestburg, Texas. And while we were in, in town over there, uh, we saw quite a few former members and every person to the person said, we sure miss y'all. But you know what they then added? Every person to the person then said, but we're excited to see what God's been doing in Pineville. So there is the sense of we've lost something, but there's also the joy that comes in seeing the blessings that have come over the last not almost nine years since we left there. And it was a reminder to me that, that we've got to do that, that we have to, to think and say, you know what? It's great to say we sure miss you. But man, it's even greater to see what God's been doing in you over this time. There's going to come a time where these staff members return back and we get to celebrate what God's doing. And likewise, let me assure you of this, there's no greater joy for a former staff member than to see a former church excel under new leadership. That's a blessing. The last thing you want to do as a leader is to leave a place and see it fall apart once you leave. You want to go, man, they're taking it and going. And so that's what the Turners and the Smithies and anybody else who's left in the 106-year history of the church has wanted to see happen in this church. Look forward to 
the blessings. Now, as, as we move into this time of transition as a church, I felt it was important that, that we take some time as a church family to pray. And so in the first service, we did what we're going to do in this service, and that is to join hands together across the aisles and to conclude this message in prayer before we go into the time of invitation. So I'd invite you to just stand and, and move in and, and connect. It's easier to do that in here than it was, would be in the sanctuary. And, and we can join hands together. And I want to just lead us in a prayer as a church family, asking the Lord to continue to move us forward in this time of transition, all right? Lord, we thank you so much for the things that you're doing in our church. And Lord, we know that these transitions are just uh, one more step in your plan. While we're saddened by the loss of these people we love, these families we love, Lord, we know that you have great things in store for them. And so, Lord, we, we bless them and we ask you, God, to just do exceedingly beyond what, what any of us could ask or imagine in their lives. Lord, we look forward to hearing great stories about what you're doing through them and in them. And Lord, for us here, as we're left, as we, as we uh, deal with the transition, we pray, God, that, that you lead us to the right people. Lord, this day right now, you know exactly who's going to be the next student minister and the next music minister of this church. We don't have a clue who that is. But God, you know exactly who it is. You know where they are. You know when they're going to come. You know what their family's like. And you know exactly the purpose that you have for bringing them to this church. And so, Lord, we just pray for your direction that we'll find them and that you'll lead us together. And that we'll have a, such a wonderful ministry as we've had with these that are departing. And God, we pray that uh, as, as we go through, there will be holes that need to be filled in. And I pray for our congregation to step in. Lord, there may be people who've just been sitting and not serving. That, Lord, they'll start serving through this. And it'll be a great time of victory and celebration for them. Lord, this is a time of, of growth and moving forward. And so, God, we pray your blessings on us. And we ask that you'll guide us in it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.